The Washington Nationals may have lost their savior last night, but the New York Mets may have gained their savior this morning. This is the Stew Pod. I'm Chris Swick. I'm Liz Rocher. Liz, you're on the Chris. podcast. I am. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You are technically the newest member of the Stew, although you've been around for a couple weeks now, a couple months now, probably, right? Yeah, I started uh, early May. Or, wow. and no, I started in mid-April. It's been that long. Wow, I didn't even realize. Well, I know. we've definitely been glad to have you around. Uh, people who maybe aren't aware of, of what you've done before, um, you, uh, you follow the Phillies. So you've blogged a lot about um, you know, that team the last couple years. You, you've been kind of all around the Internet, and people can, can find you on Twitter and find the work you've done. Um, but the, the Phillies thing definitely interests me just right off the bat before we get into some other stuff. And I guess I should run down the show before we, we get into it. So uh, today we have Liz. Uh, she's going to be talking a little bit about some of the, the national stuff going on with me. And then uh, later on in the show, I'll have Israel Fair, also from Big League Stew on, to talk about the big race in the AL East. And he's our Canadian member of the Stew, so he's locked in with Toronto. Uh, so let's 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 get started here, Liz. The Phillies, okay, a team that I have some interest in, just as an observer of the game. Um, I kind of figured going into the year this would be a poor team, but you could see the the start of the next Phillies winner. There are a lot of intriguing young guys that I wanted to see play, and I kind of figured by the second half we would have a good sense of that. Some of these guys would be up or at least uh, close to the majors, and you would start to see some really exciting guys come up. I'm wondering, as someone who has followed them pretty closely, what is the current state of Phillies fandom? Are our fans generally excited about the young core, or is there still just a lot of despair because the team has not been good this year? It's a really weird time because they started off really strong this season and, you know, no one thought that was going to continue. But right after that, it was just a, for a while, it was like a steady drop. And then it was like a a plummet off of a cliff (laughs) because so many of their pitchers, their young, promising pitchers have gotten hurt. Um, There have been issues in the minors with some of uh, some players that we've been looking forward to. Um, and the Phillies' sort of precipitous drop has made it so I don't think we're going to see some of those young players. I don't think J.P. Crawford, um, the Phillies' sort of consensus number one prospect, is um, I don't think he's coming up this season. Nick Williams, uh, an outfielder that the Phillies acquired in the Cole Hamels trade with the Rangers last year, super promising, really exciting, um, has butted heads with uh, his manager at AAA Lehigh Valley, and his uh, stats have not looked great. Uh, So those are sort of the two guys that we're super excited about that we're probably not going to see because there's almost no point in bringing him up. It's disappointing. Yeah, it's it's almost too late to do that. And those were definitely the two guys who I thought maybe we would see at this point. But it, it certainly seems like... Well, especially in Crawford's case, he's probably playing for a job next spring. And then Williams, um, you know, I guess I'm not as aware of some of the stuff he's dealt with maybe off the field um, 
in the minors this year, or like you said, with the manager. But I would imagine both of them would, would have a shot at making the club next season. Is that kind of the consensus opinion at this point? I think so. I mean, they're the the guys in those spots right now, it's, you know, a revolving door of, you know, whoever happens to be around in either right or left field. It's, you know, Peter Borges is playing a lot for right. some reason. <laughs> you know, Darren Ruff is up yet again and is playing for some reason in the outfield or at all. So, um, you know, there's they're just warming spots there. And at shortstop, it's been Freddie Galvis. And he's fine-ish, but he's not... He's not the guy that you want there. And so whenever it is they're ready to come up, you know, if they do well enough in spring training, there will be no problem with brushing them aside and saying it's time for the real guys to to play. And then some of the other younger guys, uh, well, Aaron Nola, but the, the injury kind of killed me. Um, he was a I'm guy. so sad. <laughs> I just really loved watching him. Um, and like, like I said, you know, I have no interest in the Phillies uh, as, you know, a fan or anything like that, but he's a nice changeup from those power pitchers who throw 98. Uh, he's got a ton of movement on that two seamer, and when he's going, I just really enjoyed watching him. So I, I'm also disappointed there. Um, you know, feel free to to share your Nola thoughts. I also felt like we should we should mention Jake Thompson. He was also um, one of the maybe not the elite named prospects in, in one of the many deals the Phillies made recently, but he's also up and pitching now. So um, there are some other guys who, who you've been able to get a, a look at here as the season closes. Yeah. Um, Zach Afflin uh, has been, a, was a pleasant surprise before he was injured and out for the season now. Um, <laughs> Aaron Nola was delightful. I love watching him. He's, you know, fun and interesting. And you're right, so different from what the Phillies have been used to. Um, and, you know, with Cole Hamels somewhere else, it was nice to see a homegrown guy, right, you know, right. get his start and get excited and sort of see the beginning of the fandom that will grow around him. Because that's it's such an interesting, not interesting, but really exciting position that the Phillies are in because they have young players all across the board and their only real veteran is is done with his contract at the end of this season. It's Ryan Howard. Uh, and so it's literally nothing but new guys who are either been acquired by a trade or homegrown. And so there's such an opportunity for fans to, you know, to love them and develop a fandom with them and a relationship with them. Um, and I'm sad that that's sort of come to a stop with a number of guys this year. <laughs> so, all right, la last question, and then we can move on. But when do you envision this team maybe getting back to relevance, baseball relevance? Would you say 2018 is a realistic goal? I think so. I feel like if they can get themselves together next year, um, I think 2018 is a good time, is when they might actually start to acquire some non-crappy free agents um some you know actually be a player in the trade market and not because they want to get rid of everybody um i think that would be a good year they could actually contend for the wild card um and then after that it's all up to them but i next year i'm i'm hoping it won't be as bad as this year and i'm just glad that this year wasn't as bad as last year when they narrowly avoided 100 wins oh so narrowly yeah well the I will say I'm sure the, the Phillies aren't registering maybe as much with uh, 
some of the people listening to this podcast right now. But next season, they're going to have some some interesting young guys, and uh, they might not be great, but I still think they'll be an interesting club to watch. So they're a team I'm kind of I'm monitoring. Yes, um, and I, I meant losses, <clears throat> hundred losses, not wins. That was <laughs> that of was course, a horrible yes. brain slip. A <laughs> hundred losses. Uh, let's let's transition here to probably the biggest news from this morning. And that is Tim Tebow is uh, an actual Major League Baseball player. <laughs> the Mets signed him to a deal, and I guess his landing spot's a little surprising, but it's not that surprising um, that he was signed because we were getting some, some news the last couple of days that teams were legitimately interested in him after his tryouts. Uh, Liz, you and I had planned to talk about this uh, last night before the signing, and I don't think it changes our conversation too much, but the first thing I was going to ask you last night and what I still remain interested in is um, just how interested were you in the whole Tebow becoming a baseball player saga? I mean, I'm interested not, I guess, not because it's Tebow or I guess maybe. It, it's weird because I'm fascinated by the whole thing. You know, a guy who was not very good at the NFL uh, but who is like giant muscly dude tries to make a transition over to major league baseball. Um, and that is fascinating. You know, what will he do? Like his, uh, his showcase was <laughs> instructive because he could hit balls very hard as you would assume, but he couldn't throw very well. Uh, he fell down in the outfield and wasn't very good against live pitching. And some of that can be taught but he's 29. And so, right. you know, beyond all of that, it's, if he wasn't Tim Tebow, this would not be an issue. This, no one would be, we wouldn't even be talking about this. This wouldn't be a thing at all. No, that's true. I, 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 I would say, I mean, I, I really approach this with a lot of cynicism and skepticism at first. Um, but I have to say, like, the, the reports from his, his tryout or whatever, that had me a little more interested um, I wasn't necessarily buying into, you know, I think the one scout said he had 80 power, which I think is insane. <laughs> but you, I guess you suddenly start to see um, why some teams took a shot. Like you said, the, the power is there, and he's pretty quick for a big guy, and so suddenly it becomes less of a, uh, this is a joke, at least in my mind, to more of a, okay, I, I guess I see it. Yeah. I mean, baseball players have gotten by with, you know, being, you know, quick on average and, you know, insane power. Baseball players have gotten by with less. But then again, they probably had more skills to begin with. Yeah, so, true. yeah, I mean, this whole thing, I mean, I, I'm, I'm utterly surprised that the Mets ended up signing him. But I think I probably would have said that the only team I wouldn't have been surprised at would have been the Braves. Yeah, because it seemed like they were going... Well, the, the GM made some comments about that, right? So it seemed like they were going after him or looking at him seriously, and it, I don't know, I guess maybe that fits? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I don't know what you do with Tebow because, like you said, he's already 29, and you would assume that there's, it's going to take some years of development, and by the time he gets to the majors, who, I mean, if, if he gets to the majors, he could be 33. So I, I don't know. I, I, the, the other thing that that I guess I, I had some interest in was, you know, if 
if your favorite team had signed him, what what would have been the response? I mean, would you have been outraged or shocked or just surprised? I mean, what? How would you have felt about the move? Well, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a number of very good friends who are Mets fans, and I heard <laughs> from them like immediately this morning. And one of my one of my best friends, the only word I got from him was garbage. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's not, he was not happy. Um, I mean, what we don't know is why they're signing him. Do they actually see something? Do they think they can turn him into a major leaguer or do they want to sell tickets right. somewhere? Which is, you know, whatever reason you sign him, that's fine. Though I'm going to guess Tebow thinks it's because he could be a major leaguer. I don't think he's going into this thinking someone's going to sign me because I'm going to be a great draw. Right. So um, I really don't. It's all so, so strange. Yeah, I I imagine that the fan response from maybe there's just a general fan response would be optimism. And I feel like if, if I were a fan of the team that signed Tebow, that would probably wear on me more than the fact that they signed Tebow. Because in my mind, it's just like, <laughs> Oh, whatever. I mean, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But the legions of fans who who really want to support him hard and think he's got a future as maybe like a superstar or something, that that would just destroy me, I think, internally. So <laughs> I don't know. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I. Uh, it'll be at least this is something for us to follow this winter uh, when baseball yeah. is gone and he's in the instructional league in Florida. But. Uh, yeah, this will, like I said, at least it's just something to watch. It's going to be another winter winter of Tim Tebow, so we can all be excited about that. Every uh, season is a season of Tim Tebow. Right. <laughs> so the last thing I, I thought we should uh, we should hit on here before we bring in Israel is to talk about some contenders uh, that aren't maybe getting the attention they deserve. And uh, on the site this week, we we did a roundtable question looking at some players who kind of fit in the same area. So I would encourage people to go um, read that. It's just players we think are having under-the-radar seasons, performing well for non-playoff teams. Um, But now we are going to talk about the playoff teams. Uh, If there's one contender out there you think we're not hearing about or deserves more attention, uh, what team would it be and uh, and why do you think they deserve that attention right now? I think it's Detroit. I looked at the standings this morning and noticed they're just a game out of the wild card. Um, and I think news about any other wild card has been side, has been pushed aside by the fact that the AL East is just dominating. There are three teams at the top right now. Like the wild card could potentially be, you know, the second and third place teams in the um, in the AL East. But you know, especially since the Yankees have sort of inserted themselves now into the race. Um, but no one has been talking about Detroit. And I think a lot of it is because they started the season so they started badly and then they moved up to mediocre and they've managed to sort of scratch out a, you know, a place in the race. Uh, so that is my answer. I, uh, I think that's a good answer. I'm not hearing anything about the Tigers right now. Um, my, my choice would be the St. Louis Cardinals. Somehow every year they do this, and <laughs> this was the year I really thought, okay, we're done with the, the Cardinals' devil magic, and of course, 
They're 73 and 65 as we record this. They're currently tied for a wild card spot. Um, I, I just I don't fully understand how they're doing it, but they're doing it again. And no one's talking about them, probably because the Cubs are just so dominant. But man, the the Cardinals could get in again, and then given their crazy October. I don't know what you want to call it, but just devil magic works so well. Yeah. So given that, you know, they'll probably go on a nice run. That would be my team. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess looking over some of the other clubs that maybe aren't getting attention, I, I don't know if we're considering Kansas City in there. They're four games back. Um, people have kind of talked about them lately just because of the run that they went on. Miami's five games back. Pittsburgh's four and a half. Do any of those teams, do you, you think any of those teams are serious contenders at this point or not really? I would like them to be if only so there is some kind of change in what the the teams in the uh, in the playoffs look like for the NL. Um, I know like the Cubs are in and that's kind of new, but um, the, the, the Giants, the Cardinals, Dodgers, I mean, last year uh, the Nationals weren't in it. Um, but they are back again this year, and it just it, with the Giants and the Cardinals, it just feels so samey. It just feels like it, it does, does every year with the two of those teams just going at it. And I'm am I'm, I'm ready for the two of them to not be good, so we can get a team like Pittsburgh or Miami, like Colorado is six and a half out, right. which is a lot for this time of year to make up. But that's impressive. I didn't realize that they were that close. I had just assumed that they'd had a really terrible season, but it's um it's middling and i guess i i feel obligated to mention that the mariners are only five games out though they really haven't they played are. all that well lately so i guess a team to to keep an eye on even though it seems unlikely uh liz i think this satisfies the first part of uh of our podcast so i am going to go talk to israel now and liz you will join me uh at the end for the important question segment uh this is the stew pod Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Chris Wick here. We bring in Israel Fair of Big League Stew, our favorite Canadian member of the Stew. Uh, you are out in Toronto, correct, Israel? Yes, uh, right now back in Toronto and uh, ready for a pretty exciting playoff run with the Blue Jays in the AL East. Yeah, so that's the main reason you're here is to talk some AL East, but uh, you also just covered the Olympics in Rio, and uh, I thought it would be neat to just ask you what that was like, um, covering a bunch of different sports and being in a completely different country and covering the Olympics, which is pretty exciting. So what was that experience like, and have you finally been able to transition back to baseball now that you're officially back? Well, it was definitely cool. Uh, got to see uh, a lot of different events, like you said, Chris. It's not just the... Uh, the baseball season uh, where you've got uh, the one sport to go on and a sport that, uh, you know, we, at the stew, we like to think that that we know what we're talking about yeah. and writing about. Uh, a lot of things that you're learning on the fly, even in sports pretty straightforward like track and field, but uh, 
going to Rio, working with the Yahoo team, you know, a lot of the the Jeff Passens and the the Dan Wetzels, the Pat Forties uh, were down there to work with them as a team was was pretty cool, and uh, to see a bit of a different culture as well was something that that I'll remember. And uh, I am slowly easing back into baseball mode, but uh, uh, the way that it breaks down, right? The Olympics are in August, and you get back, you got about a week uh, until September gets started, and uh, then it's pr- pretty hard to avoid the the games. Have been a lot of fun. Uh, since I got back, and I think from here on out, especially here in Toronto with a big uh, Red Sox J series on the weekend, I have no choice but to be back in baseball mode and uh, get ready for the stretch run here. And, and then the playoffs are just, you know, less than a month away. Yeah, we need you to be on top of your baseball game because the AL East is the division to watch now down the stretch. And so I figured we could do something kind of fun with it, or at least I think it's fun. Uh, I think we should rank the AL East contenders give a little power ranking, and then I think we will each give one reason why we're optimistic about their chances at making the playoffs and one reason why they're pessimistic. So I'm going to let you lead it off. Uh, Power rank the AL East as of right now. Okay, well, that's a great question, and uh, because it's either three teams or four teams, depending on how you feel about the New York Yankees after they swept the Jays, this week to, to really put themselves back in uh, at least the wild card discussion. Uh, so if I'm going to include the Yankees, I'm going to keep the Blue Jays one. Uh, I feel like they're still the, the team to beat. And then the Red Sox right behind them at two. The Orioles are, are still three for me. And that's kind of been the theme throughout the whole season. They've been playing very well. We know how powerful that offense is. Uh, but the pitching even... To this point has not been very good outside of their bullpen their starting pitching I should specify has, has not been great throughout the season they've still managed to be right there with the Red Sox and, and the Blue Jays but I do feel that here in the stretch run that that could hurt them and then uh, I'll give the Yankees the, the four spot although some of the play of their young players of course uh, Gary Sanchez kind of leading the way there uh, has put them in kind of an interesting spot here where they could potentially challenge for the wild card but I do think that uh, they're still behind the, the, the other three teams in the American League East. Okay, so right off the bat, you bring up an interesting point, because I, when I sent you the email about this, I said, we'll rank the AL East contenders one through three. And then I said, should we mention the Yankees? Because I guess I don't know what to do with them. Are we, are we really considering them contenders at this point, or are we just kind of throwing them in there because we feel obligated to? Because they're only two and a half games out, technically. Yeah, you're right. And I think that uh, if we did this podcast last week, then we might not even uh, mention them at all. But yeah. uh, to you know, sweep the Jays, who were at the top of the division at the time, was, was pretty good for them. And you're looking at, I mean, this is kind of the whole thing with that second wild card. There are a bunch of teams here uh, as we reach mid-September that are, are in the mix. You're looking at the Tigers making a nice push. Uh, you know, the Astros are involved. Uh, those there's going to be probably two of those AL East teams that obviously aren't going to win the division. So whether it's the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Orioles, they're going to be there. And then the Yankees are, are, are right there as of right now. Do I think that they have enough uh, to complete the the push? Uh, no, I would bet on, on some of the other teams in the race to do so. But uh, the way that they've played since uh, the trade deadline and the way that they've kind of shuffled the lineup a little bit and given some of these young players that... Uh, 
it's not a huge surprise. These are kind of prospects that we've heard about for for a long time, but to see them have the success that they're having right now and uh, really not losing a ton in the bullpen where you have Dylan Batances, who uh, is among the top relievers in the game. And uh, just watching the game last night against the Blue Jays, Luis Severino in the bullpen looked uh, looked really good uh, for them. So they still have a, a pretty nasty back end. And if they can get enough starting pitching, I guess they could still be in it, you know, the last week, last weekend of the season. So I, I, sh- I should give my rankings here. Um, I have it exactly as it is right now in the American League East. So Boston would be my one, Toronto two, Orioles three, and if we're putting the Yankees in there, I have them at four. So our only, our only difference is you have Toronto first, I have Boston first. But, I, I mean, I really feel like that's we're splitting hairs at this point. Um, to me... It's going to be close. Yeah, to me, all, all three of those teams, they... They are all talented. They all have these, uh, you know, tremendous highs, and then they're all flawed as well. And so I think that's that's a good place to start here. Um, let, let's go with Toronto. So, what is your reason to be optimistic about their chances of making the playoffs? I think the reason here down the stretch to be optimistic is that uh, the offense hasn't been particularly good of late. And uh, you still know that the, the that lineup is super talented with Josh Donaldson, Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Batista, who's still kind of easing his way back after missing quite a bit of time through injury. And then a guy like Russell Martin, Troy Tulowitzki. I mean, we know all these names and we know that this is a lineup that, that can break out and instead of not they're not as strong as they were last year and they're not as strong as as the Red Sox were but you still feel pretty good knowing that you have that kind of offense and I do think that uh, the the way that they've stacked up their starting pitching here uh, for the stretch run does put them in in a pretty good spot to at least compete with the Red Sox who are uh, very much a, a similar team in that way. Yeah, I would say my reason to be optimistic, and you hit on it, but it just the fact that Jose Batista is finally back. He had missed some time earlier and I think everybody knows just how dominant he can be and you just you don't need to add another, you know, 20 plus home run hitter to that lineup. So just having him around is tremendous. The plate discipline's great. Um I just I don't know. There's not there's not much more I can analyze about Batista. Everyone knows what he is and everyone knows that that's a tremendous lineup with or without him, but it's it's otherworldly with him. Uh a reason to be pessimistic, at least for me, would would have to be the rotation, right? I mean, that seems like the natural spot. Um, you know, Jay Happ has been tremendous. I didn't expect that. Um, Marco Estrada has has had his moments, but behind those two guys, I guess I have some concerns. Um, Aaron Sanchez clearly was was on track. Uh, the innings limit thing is a bit of a concern, although I believe he's going to pitch. You can you can definitely shed light on that. But that that would my concern, I guess, would be Ari Dickey, Marcus Stroman, just getting back on track and being uh, guys I can feel confident with come playoff time. For sure, uh, and the Stroman one's is a big one. He has pitched fairly well since the All Star break, or at least you know the last six weeks or so. But there still have been some of those hiccups, and I do think that I would certainly echo those sentiments if. It was still the situation where Aaron Sanchez was going to be in the bullpen and he wasn't going to be starting down the stretch in the playoffs. But uh, they have tried to to make that as clear as possible that uh, he's going to be the guy. They've 
stack their rotation for this weekend series against the Red Sox to make sure that uh, he gets a start in there because he's has been uh, one of the top pitchers in the league when he's been pitching. And uh, I, I do think that they're still pretty comfortable with that. And uh, an off day today puts them in a spot uh, for the Friday series against uh, against the Red Sox where they have Hap Estrada and uh, and Sanchez and that uh, Hap and Estrada have had, like you said, Chris, they've had their moments this year. They have had some times where they've been really good. And if they can step up, then uh, then things are good. But if, if they don't, then, yeah, this team could be in, in some trouble. Out of curiosity, who would you start in a, in a game one? Would you start Sanchez or would you give the nod to one of those other guys? I would I would start Sanchez. I just okay. think that uh, he is that power arm, and uh, he he has been uh, across the season the, the most consistent guy there. And and I think that regardless of uh, the the fact that he's not a super experienced starter, he is the guy that uh, that I'd want out there for sure. Yeah, I I would agree. It's just the fact that he hasn't been around as much lately. I wonder if that would change the opinion. But um, when he has pitched, he's been tremendous. Let's let's move to Boston here. Uh, in my mind, the clear strength is is that uh, that lineup, just one through nine. It seems like everybody is hitting over 300. Sandy Leone somehow is having this tremendous year, <laughs> and I can't explain that. Jackie Bradley Jr., Mookie Betts. It's, you just go up and down the list, and it's like just hitters I love. So <laughs> that's the clear strength for me. Um, what would you say? Yeah, I mean that's got to be it. This is uh, this is the kind of lineup that we saw out of the Blue Jays last year, where you feel like they're going to put up five, six runs every game. Uh, it's just it's hugely talented. Very, uh, I mean, similar type of hitters in terms of the results, but uh, it's just yeah, it's, it's just an awesome lineup to watch, and it, it's a huge reason for why they're still in it despite having some of that those starting pitching struggles early in the season. And what about a reason to be pessimistic about the the Red Sox down the stretch here? I think it's again much like the Blue Jays. There, there got to be some questions about that starting pitching. I think you still feel pretty good about David Price and uh, Rick Porcello's had a heck of a year, but uh, to get there and uh, to to just to see what what they can do against some of the, you know a guy like Drew Pomeranz against some of the top offenses that they're going to be facing. Uh, especially, you know, the Blue Jays. That'll be really, I think, the matchup. I think we both agree those are the, the two teams that we're really keying in on to take this division. And you're looking at a series this weekend, and then you're looking at Red Sox-Blue Jays to, to close out the season at Fenway over the last weekend of the season. And uh, it's I think it's going to come down to which one of these rotations can at least limit the damage from the opposite awesome offense. And uh, I, I think that for fans of both teams, it's going to be uh, a pretty nerve racking time as, as they get ready for at least this weekend and then uh, the stretch run to get to that final weekend but uh, for the Red Sox I do think that uh, you're not hugely concerned but uh, you do have some questions about the rotation yeah so looking at kind of all three of these teams the the clear reason for pessimism for me was the rotation in all three and so in order to be different here I, I tried to, to look at the Red Sox bullpen as maybe a reason to be concerned they do have Craig Kimbrell in the back. Brad Ziegler's pitched really well for them. Uh, after that, there's a little bit of uncertainty. Koji Uehara hasn't had his uh, normal dominant season. They've moved Joe Kelly to the bullpen, Clay Buckholz. Um, I have no idea kind of how those guys are going to transition. Buckholz has kind of been underwhelming. Uh, Kelly hasn't pitched much out of the pen. Fernando Abad has been pretty poor for them thus far. And so in the late innings, 
you know, going down the stretch here, I'm not sure who they rely on other than Kimbrell and Ziegler. And that could become a problem. I and mean, I guess with the 40-man rosters, you can give those guys a little bit more rest, but that comes at the expense of maybe throwing an even lesser pitcher. So I guess you just kind of hope that the offense hits enough where you don't need to lean on uh, your elite relievers in one-run games down the stretch. So that I'll, I'll go with reliever. I really think the answer, like you said, is starting pitching, but um, we'll just say I'm concerned about the bullpen. And so naturally that gets us to the Orioles where I think starting rotation has to be the, the reason for pessimism. Do you, do you agree or do you have something different to bring to the table? Yeah, that's, that's got to be it. And that's been, I think, the question since, since spring training. I mean, we knew this team would hit. Uh, we had a pretty good idea that the bullpen would be pretty good. And uh, they've gone through quite a few veteran guys. You know, you look guys at Giovanni Gallardo, Ubaldo Jimenez. They make a trade for Wade Miley. These are a few guys that have been around for a number of years and really have not pitched all that well. And they're still right in the thick of things. So it does make for for pretty interesting fodder. But, yeah, I mean, it's got to be the rotation that that you're worried about down the stretch with the Orioles. Yeah, it's it's really weird that all these teams are so bunched up and so close and they're they're almost mirror images of each other because it's the clear strength for all three are the lineups. The clear uh the clear weakness would be the pitching and especially in the rotation. Uh with Baltimore, I think we all knew that this team was going to hit for a lot of power. Yep. Uh they they clearly have done that. I mean, I, I guess I've been shocked because I think I had them finishing last in that division when we did our early season predictions and so they've kind of they've really screwed up everything I thought about them the entire season um I, I don't I don't know what to make of them I mean really the getting Chris Tillman back and getting him productive was was a big thing for them I felt as far as the rotation went and now having him out of commission for a while I feel like that's that really has to hurt them and yet uh, they still find themselves in the hunt here. So it, I don't know. It, it must be all that just tremendous power, right? Is that, is that what we're going to say when we look back on the 2016 Orioles? I think so. I mean, they, they built that's one of the things. I mean, look, I picked the Rays to make the playoffs, so my preseason <laughs> predictions can't be taken uh, for, for a lot. Can't put a ton of stock in them, but uh, certainly with the Orioles, that's the one that I think a lot of us identified heading into the season was you just looked at that lineup and you're saying, well, wow, there's five or six guys here that could hit 30 homers. And you've got, you know, a guy in Manny Machado, who's one of the top all around players in the game and with that lineup. And I think they've got a, a, pr- a pretty solid defense as well, which is something that uh, is another thing. I think you look at all the teams in the race in the AL East, they, they do field the ball fairly well. Uh, they've got some good up the middle play, but uh, I would say Manny Machado's right up there with a guy like Mookie Betts in terms of, of all around game. Of course, Josh Donaldson with the Blue Jays, and uh, with that lineup, uh, that's certainly one that that played out to be true. They have absolutely slugged uh, the ball out of the park a ton, and uh, it's definitely the the big reason why they're they're still here. Even though we've been saying it since the start, and we're still saying it, we still look at them as the team that's just behind the the Red Sox and the and the Blue Jays. Yeah, and I guess if you wanted to highlight another strength, it would definitely be the bullpen. Uh, Zach Britton, I think you know people have written about him already quite a bit. He he got some strange MVP Cy Young buzz, which I don't necessarily yep. <laughs> agree with, but I you know I think it's an interesting argument to make. 
Um, Brad Brock, I don't think anyone knows who that is, but he's having a tremendous year, and the the numbers an all star, yeah, the, all star Brad Brock. That this is legitimate, and then Michael Givens has been really great for them too. Um, and I, I don't know, I I think you know Buck Showalter, he's a manager I like. I think he does a really good job, especially with his bullpen decisions, and that that just impresses me. I mean, I feel like he he's able to to make this team play a little above what we anticipate and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that and I would say I mean I like John Gibbons but Buck Showalter is probably the manager I trust the most out of the the three big teams we've discussed so I don't know what that gets you in the end I mean I still kind of see the Orioles falling back and and not being a playoff team and I think you agree but they've just defied the odds so much this year that I, I expect them to make me look like a fool again. I agree on Showalter, and I like John Gibbons as well. I think that he does a, a pretty good job as a guy that's probably been underappreciated for a while, and uh, even though the team got to the uh, the ALCS last year, still doesn't get a, a ton of credit. But Showalter, it's now been a number of years where he's had some moving pieces in that bullpen, and they, they still find themselves among the best. Uh, and he, I do think he does a, a really good job there, and uh he might be in that that manager of the year discussion once the year's over, even if uh, they are just a wild card team, because that would still be a, a pretty good accomplishment considering how the pitching has gone for them uh, as far as the starters this year. Absolutely. All right. Well, that I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, there's the AL East breakdown for you. We'll probably both wind up being tremendously wrong in the next couple of weeks, but the Yankees will win the division. Yeah. yeah. I, I look forward to to listening to this three weeks from now and laughing at it. Uh, but Israel, thanks for doing this. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll definitely lean on you here as the, the AL East race heats up and Toronto gets into some big series down the stretch. Always happy to do it, Chris. It's good to uh, to be back working with you guys after uh, a month away at the Olympics and uh, ready to get back uh, right into baseball and fortunate to be in a city and uh, in a spot here where baseball is really going to matter right now with uh, a bunch of big games coming up. So really excited for what's to come, and uh, thanks for having me on. All right, that's going to do it for this segment of the Supod. We'll be back with Liz Rocher and the important questions. Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Chris Swick with Liz Rocher once again joining us. And Liz, it's time for the important question segment. I know you're excited. A lot of hype here about the important question, and I admit I don't have a good one. So (laughs) we're going to default to uh, a baseball-related question, and it's simply, what is the best game you've ever attended? Uh, Well, I have an easy answer to this one. Um, it, the best game I ever attended was uh, opening day for the Phillies in 2011. It was the start of their 102-win season. I went to a bunch of games that year, uh, but I took my dad to opening day. He hadn't, I can't remember if he had ever been to opening day, but if he hadn't, it had been at least 30 years since he'd been to opening day with the Phillies. So I took him, and we, we did early morning tailgate, which was hilarious. Um, and the game was sort of... They were about to lose. It was, you know, Roy Halladay started. Uh, they were not hitting really well. They were facing the Astros, and it was before the Astros were in the uh, were in the AL. So they're facing the Astros, and they ended up coming back in the ninth inning. I'd never seen a comeback win with a walk off, and John Mayberry Jr. hit like a, a 
weird single to left field to score the run. It was so exciting. It was so exciting. It got the season started off right. Um, my dad hadn't seen um, sort of a walk-off win like that either. It was really cool to share it with him, uh, and that was the best game I'd ever been to. That is good. Walk-off games, attending walk-off games are always, that's always up there. Um, I will say, this wasn't, maybe, people won't find this as exciting. You might, though. Um, one of the best pitching performances I ever saw was uh, when the Phillies came to play the Nationals. I, I don't remember the year exactly. I feel like 2012, um, at the time I was working for the Nationals and their scoreboard, and Cliff Lee just had one of the, probably the best game I've ever seen uh, in person from a pitching standpoint. He dominated the Nats for the first five or six innings, and then I think at the end of the sixth or the seventh, that's when he started throwing his curveball, and you could just see the Nats hitters were just so thrown off by that. I mean, he had dominated all game with great fastball placement and some other off-speed pitches. And then suddenly he just unleashes this tremendous weapon in, like, the sixth inning. And I'm going to have to find the, the tape of that game because sometimes I'll, I'll go back and watch the strikeouts. And it's just kind of amazing to see um, just the fact that he had this tremendous weapon in his back pocket all game and then finally he unleashes it, and it just seems so unfair. And I think it, he wound up throwing, like, a complete game, and he had 12 strikeouts, and it was just, I don't know. For whatever reason, that sticks out to me. It's something, it's a, it's a performance I'll never forget. So there you go. There's he, some more Phillies for you. Cliff Lee had a, a stretch, and I'm trying to remember, it might have been 2011, but he had a, a really great stretch in 2012, too, where he just... He completely dominated every single hitter he faced. When he was on, he was so much fun to watch. Oh, I miss him so much. I know. I, I miss him and I miss Roy Halladay quite a bit. And just uh, the, the fact that they both played for the Phillies at one time, uh, pretty amazing looking back on that rotation. That was, yeah, those were the good days. Those were, those were fun times to look back on. And now that we're sort of past the the years where the Phillies are denying that they were in a rebuild, we can look back on it without bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. All right, Liz, I think that's going to do it. Before we let everyone go, I have to remind you to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. Uh, you can do that easily. Just type in StuPod in the search bar. Hopefully you'll give us five stars. Maybe leave us a comment. If your comment's great, maybe we'll read it on the air. So please do that. Um, other than that, I want to thank Liz and Israel for, for joining me this week. Uh, as you noticed, Mike Oz was not here. He's on vacation, but he will be back next week. So if you missed him, uh, don't worry. He's, he's coming back to the podcast. Uh, that's all for this two pod. Liz, thanks again for being here. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.